Welcome to the Well Woman Show, where we use intersectional feminism, mindfulness, leadership, and strategy to support smart women to change the world without anxiety, insecurity, and burnout. On the show, we challenge the status quo and support you to unlearn harmful messages that keep you playing small so you can activate your superpowers and live with joy, confidence, and ease. I'm your host, Giovanna Rossi. Hello, hello, Well Women. On the show today, I'm so pleased to present my interview with Lisa Niver. She's the author of the book, Bravish, One Breakup, Six Consonants, and Feeling Fearless After 50. She's an award-winning travel expert, and she's explored 102 countries and six continents. You can find her articles in publications from AARP, the magazine, to AAA, to Wired, and she has an award-nominated uh, podcast, Make Your Own Map. She's been awarded three Southern California Journalism Awards and two National Arts and Entertainment Journalism Awards, and she's been a finalist 22 times. On the show today, we discuss the transformative potential of embracing change, the importance of setting bold goals for personal growth, and strategies for overcoming fear and self-doubt. And I had the pleasure of meeting Lisa at a conference I attended earlier this year for women leaders. I, uh, I was actually a speaker at this conference and Lisa was in my workshop. And so she and I hit it off and I learned all about her new book and I thought, oh my gosh, I have to have her on the show. So I can't wait to share this conversation uh, with you, with Lisa Niver, author of Bravish. And as always, all the links and information are at wellwomanlife.com slash 324 show. The Well Woman Show is thankful for support from Collective Action Strategies, a consulting firm that supports systemic change so that women and families thrive and by Well Woman Life Movement Challenge Quiz at wellwomanlife.com slash quiz. Now to my episode with Lisa Niver. I'm speaking with Lisa Niver on the Well Woman Show. Welcome to the program. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to be here with you. Wow, I'm really excited to talk to you on the show. And uh, for listeners, I'm speaking with Lisa Niver, who's the author of Bravish. She has her book up there. And um, it's called Bravish, One Breakup, Six Continents, and Feeling Fearless After 50. It's She's an award-winning travel expert who has explored over 100 countries and six continents. And we'll link to all of the goodness that she has put out in the world. So you can look at her uh, articles and her uh, travel sites. We said go travel. Um, but for now, we are going to jump right in with Lisa Niver. And um, Lisa, tell listeners, who are you in the world today? Thank you so much. I'm so excited to be here with you and so honored to be on this show with you. We we met because of Ms. Magazine. Yeah. And yeah, at the Take the Lead conference. And who I am right now in the world is a great question. I tell people that I'm an explorer, an author, and an educator. I taught school for a very long time. I taught science. And right now, I'm so focused on this book and helping people think about how they could also be more brave-ish. Okay. And... Um, do you have other identities that you, I know you, you talk a lot about this in the book, but other identities 
that you would like to mention in terms of your background or your um, faith or anything else that you hold as part of your identity? Oh, thank you. Well, one of the things that I love the most is I love scuba diving. And I've been fortunate to speak in the Travel and Adventure Show about scuba diving. I recently joined the board at my temple, Stephen Wise Temple here in Los Angeles, and I'm very honored to participate with them. I grew up there and being Jewish is very important to me. And I studied in Israel several times. I also am on the committee. It's going to be surprisingly, it's the 35th reunion for University of Pennsylvania. I graduated in 1989. So I'm so excited to be back with my friends. And for me, a lot of my friends are from my travels, from college, and being part of those communities is really important to me. Mm, Okay. Thanks for sharing that with with the listeners. It's always good to connect and we as women hold so many different roles, you know, in our lives that um, it, it's never just, and I think sometimes high achieving women just really identify with their title and, um, or, or like over identify with work or, or maybe with family. And so it's good to just get the whole picture here. Um, so Lisa, you just published your book, Bravish. And I want to ask you, what does being brave mean to you? It's such a question. One of the things that happened, my book starts in Thailand and I came home from Thailand. I'd been backpacking for almost two years and I came home alone. I was married and I came home without my spouse and everyone kept saying to me, you're so brave. And honestly, you know that scene in Princess Bride where the guy says, inconceivable, and the other guy keeps saying, I do not think that means what you think it means. That was how I felt. <laughs> that was how I felt every single time someone was saying to me, oh, you're so brave. In fact, I looked the word up repeatedly in the dictionary because I love the library. I love dictionaries. I love school. I've been a teacher a lot of times, and I was so confused. Why were people saying this word to me? I mean, I felt like all I did for so long trying to decide if I was getting divorced, how I was going to restart, I did not feel brave. I just cried. Yeah. And so when I was thinking about a title for the book, it felt very natural to me that it was you know, other people's experience of me was different than how I felt. And several people, when the title was announced, were like, I hated the title. They're like, you're not brave-ish. You're very brave. And I'm like, I really don't see myself the way you see myself or see me. Mm -hmm. And so that was sort of how it happened. That, um, But bravery to me has evolved. And I used to think only certain people were brave. And through this project, I did 50 challenges before I turned 50. It really changed how I felt about myself and how I try things and 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 who is actually brave. Hmm. Yeah, it seems like it has evolved. I was going to ask you about that because, um, as you say, you didn't feel brave at the beginning of the journey. And I think a lot of women can relate to that in terms of um, being given a label or or being thought of in a certain way that they just cannot relate to. And, and that comes up a lot with success. Like, you know, women uh, are told, oh, that's great. That's so successful. And, but they don't feel it. And so what was, tell us a little bit about the journey of, of becoming more comfortable with being brave. <laughs> 
Yes. It, the journey is always the right word. So it was a journey for me. And one of the things when you talk about women and feeling successful, one of the things with this whole project, 50 Things Before 50, and then writing a whole book about doing them, is I just want to clarify for people that I probably quit 10 million times. Right. <laughs> Every single challenge, uh, uh, when someone suggested it, I immediately said no, mostly, especially in the beginning. And then during it, I pretty much said no. And I used to call one of my friends, this is the stupidest idea, I'm never doing it. And she told me she never even listened to those voicemails. She just deleted them because I knew you were going to do it. <laughs> But I think it's important to give ourselves permission that we don't have to finish everything and everything's not the right path and it doesn't have to be so negative. I have grown up with a very negative definition of failure or or changing paths and I'm working on a talk and a friend of mine read it and she said, you know, you call yourself a derailed train, a dumpster fire, you burnt all your bridges. It's pretty negative. What if you just were switching gears? That pretty much means the same thing, but it's not so nasty. And I think for me, that's been a lot of the journey about success and failures is what does it mean to you? You know, if you set out on one path and it's not the right path, is it a disaster to decide that something else is better for you? Mm. Yeah, it's just a a different, it's, it's a shift, isn't it? Mm-hmm. And so you're working on this talk, you're, you've just published your book. What are you doing? Like, if you could summarize, what are you doing in the world that supports women and women's well-being? Well, that is an excellent question. I think the ways that I'm working to support women is through mostly right now my articles and videos. I just had an article in Ms. Magazine about being at the United Nations. I just went back to the United Nations General Assembly for the third time, and I was at the Clinton Global Initiative Conference in New York City. And it was one of the most remarkable conferences I've ever been at. I heard Hillary Clinton, Bill Clinton, Chelsea Clinton speak, and it was so inspiring to be among these people. I Hillary Clinton interviewed Janet Yellen. And I was just like, wow, some people do really important work. And my editor-in-chief at the Jewish Journal recently said to me that journalism is activism. And to him, it's one of the most important things. So I've been trying to remember that when I'm somewhere and I think, look at what they're doing. Because what I'm doing is getting the information out there. I, you know, I used to be solely in the classroom as a teacher, and now I'm, you know, digital, print, broadcast, online. I have st- several websites, and that's what I'm doing is I really want to support people in thinking that you can make choices, you could change your choices, and we could all grow together. Yeah, I love that. And um, do you identify as a journalist? That is an excellent question. I sometimes say I'm a content creator because I'm on YouTube and I'm just the smidge from 2 million views on YouTube, which is so amazing to me because I remember when I was started on YouTube and I had 100 views and I was so excited. And then I had 1,000 views and I was so excited. Now I'm like, oh, if I could just get to 2 million, but I will for sure. By October for my birthday, I'm getting to 2 million views. But I think 
think of myself as a journalist. I mean, with the book, I'm an author. It's hard. There's not one word for someone like me that's on so many platforms besides content creator, which seems mm-hmm. not that great. I mean, author's amazing. I'm so honored to have this book. It was quite a journey to publication. But yes, I do think of myself as a journalist. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. Amazing. And you have a lot of, um, y- your story is really interesting in terms of your background, your your other jobs and, and sort of your life before you got married and, and then uh, it, it had this, you know, the, the start of the book where you're in Thailand and things kind of fall apart. Um, what's, what can you tell women who may be on a career path and um, don't really see, uh, you know, cause it's not really a straight line, is it? It, we just sort of can go in different directions. And I think particularly young women are very focused on the straight line or can be, um, so what would you tell younger women about sort of career paths and life paths? Yes, I agree. We have this imagination, perhaps fueled by television and film, that there are direct paths. And and maybe as you're speaking about younger women, social media, that that there's only one way there's, it's a straight line. I think about a spiral that wraps around and each version of coming around the circle, you're up a little bit higher. So it can feel like you're in the same place again, but it's sort of like being in a building with a lot of escalators. You've gone up. It's yeah. You know, on the GPS, it looks like the exact same place, but you're, you're in a different level. Maybe it's like a video game you're leveling up. But for me, I, had no idea. I I went to Penn. Um, Penn was very pre-professional. I went to medical school. I went to a really great medical school, UCSF, and I was completely in the wrong place. I They were very kind and gave me an, a year leave of absence during which I worked at Planned Parenthood and I started teaching. And at the end of the year, it was clear I wasn't going back. And a lot of people had opinions about that. And a friend told me that people that mind don't matter and people that matter don't mind. That the people that love you the most, hopefully, maybe they don't always show it every minute, but they want the best for you. And what's best for you, you get to decide. And you also get to decide to try different things out. I'm very fascinated right now with the two books, Grit and Quit. Mm. Because the book Grit is actually written by a, a woman at Penn about, you know, being stick to like you want to get somewhere, you have to have grit. And we've really embedded in people that I think some of the takeaway people get is you can't change, which isn't what she's saying. But then there's another book called Quit. It's basically you have to try a lot of things to figure out what to focus on and use your grit for. And to me, I think it's very fascinating how we're not that supportive of taking one path and trying another and taking another path. And and I really think the way we define failure is very hard, especially on women and young women. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, well, that's all really helpful. And yes, I know the book Grit, but we'll we'll link to those books in um, the show notes for listeners to, to check out. And um, Lisa, you, you know, on the Well Woman Show, we talk a lot about, you know, all these topics, but also, um, just, you know, 
really bringing in more play and fun into your life, into your lives. And it seems to me that a lot of what you did in your book was just have fun. Like how many more ways can I just have fun? Um, and whether that took some bravery to do some of those things, like, like some of the, you know, more, more dangerous things or the, you know, um, the diving, although you love diving, um, but the water, you weren't always used to water. Um, so some of those things took some bravery, but a lot of it was just allowing yourself to open up to something new and something fun. Yeah, absolutely. I had, after I had my leave from medical school, I worked in San Francisco for some time as a teacher, and then I left to go traveling. So I worked at Club Med and I worked on cruise ships. And in that time of being full-time traveler, getting paid to traveler to travel, I had a lot of scuba diving and a lot of fun. And one of the things that became clear to me when I would come back from those expeditions was that other people's adult lives didn't have as much fun. There were a lot of adulting tasks. And in the 50 things, I got to revisit some things from my childhood that other people thought were fun that were never fun for me. Um, because I have an eye issue that didn't get diagnosed properly until I was an adult, I was terrified at theme parks and roller coasters were impossible for me because of my vision problems. But one of the early things that I did in my 50 things is I actually went on a water slide. And it was fascinating to me to be in line and terrified. And of course, I was on a cruise ship with one of my friends I used to work with. And in line, I was noticing like parents and children so happy and excited. And I, I kept thinking about leaving. It's like, this is terrifying. And I think that's one of the things about fun or how we view things is we bring ourselves with it. And I always tell people, if you want to try something new, do something small. You know, it doesn't have to be that you're going to go on the largest roller coaster on the planet. It could be the where the little kids are going. Sometimes they do something scary. Like I also did a ropes course on that same cruise and I was terrified and I was like, oh my God, I'm going to die. This is a terrible idea. And there was literally an eight-year-old boy behind me going, could you hurry up? <laughs> right. And I thought if eight-year-olds are allowed here, probably I could make it. Hmm. I love that. So start small. I did that. Um, and, uh, you know, we have family in California. So we went to Disneyland, took the kids. And I generally just don't love roller coasters. And, um, but my husband had a broken arm, so he couldn't go on with them. So I had to really, you know, pull, Step pull up. up. Yeah, I had to pull it all together. And I went on the little like the, the splash, whatever splash mountain or something. And I thought, Oh, that was fun. I can do the Incredicoaster. No, not a good idea. It was <laughs> horrible. But to your point, I started small. So then I thought, you know, let me try the bigger one. Now, you know, I have done the Incredicoaster and I will never do it again, but I did it. <laughs> um, so that's just a good, uh, you know, example of like starting small and then doing the big thing. And then you, you may or may not like the big thing, but at least you've done it. Right. 
Well, I also tell people, and there's, it's two sides. I do a lot of things by myself and that helps me get to have a lot more fun. Like people say to me, oh, I haven't seen the movie because I have no one to go with. And I'm always like, you know, you can go to the movies alone. You're not supposed to talk. You're supposed to go into the dark, sit in a seat you've pre-selected. You know, it's not like third grade on the lunch tables. No one knows where to sit. You picked your seat. It's dark. You're not supposed to talk. Why would you not go alone? Yeah. Yeah, I think people need permission, you know, and I think your book gives people permission to do all kinds of things, which is really fun. But I want to ask you about the reality of doing all of these 50 things over the course of a few years. I mean, you didn't do it all, you know, in one year or anything, but um, for folks listening and thinking, oh, I want to do a challenge like that. um, How did you manage the finances of it? Because I think that's a real issue with a lot of people who want to do amazing, you know, wonderful things, um, but just can't figure out how how to proceed with, you know, how to pay for it all? That's a very fair question. A lot of my 50 challenges were part of stories. And so there was support, financial support to make a lot of the challenges happen. And that helped. And some of the things were with other friends. Like when I went on the cruise where I did the, um, the water slide and the ropes course, my friend that she was actually my first roommate when I worked on cruise ships, she was on a different company. And so I went with her on a friends and family rate. Um, So there, that wasn't a journalist. I mean, I did turn it into a story, but it didn't start out that way. So that was one thing is take advantage of your network would be one of the things I would tell people is even recently I was in Washington DC to go on television and the way I made that work was I used points. I love having all the airline credit cards. So I have lots of points. I always get the sign up bonus. I recommend you get the card. It's Most of them are free the first year you get all the points. So I flew, I wouldn't say I flew for free, but I flew, I didn't pay cash. I flew on points. And on a trip recently, I had met two friends when I was in Ireland. They both happened to live in DC and they both said, why don't you stay with me? So I said two nights with one friend, two nights with the other friend, didn't pay for that, no housing. And another friend that lives nearby came and took me out to dinner. So my trip honestly was fairly inexpensive because the airline and the hotel and the food is usually what's so expensive. Yeah. One night, one friend made dinner. Another night, another friend made dinner. So I guess one of my tips to you is be friendly and kind. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> um, and also I think paying in advance and, and looking around for how to make something work. Another thing that I think can be an advantage for people is, is there's some volunteer opportunities, volunteer vacations where you trade your service to have more access either it might not necessarily be so cheap but you can get access to things you wouldn't normally have access to maybe you're not a journalist but you they still value your coming and doing something and another thing we could talk about is people leading groups because that's a way that someone might be able to get their fear reduced oh yeah okay so lots of ideas there for listeners um use your network um offer to volunteer and be creative. 
be creative in your thinking. So uh, a lot of times we have limited thinking like, oh, I can't do that. But actually, if you explore it a little bit and be be creative about it, um, you can usually find uh, something that can work. And yeah, I actually did Volunteers for Peace um, when I first got married and our project was in Russia. So we wanted to go to Russia on our honeymoon. And so we added a Volunteers for Peace project. Um, and it was amazing, amazing. But like, it wasn't, you know, in like the fancy part of Russia in, you know, we did go to St. Petersburg and Moscow, but our project was not there. <laughs> our project was like 24 hours on a train in the middle of, you know, deep, deep Russia, which nowadays I think to myself, wow, I really wouldn't do that now, obviously. Um, but- I have one, one follow-up thought on, cause you said about your wedding. Yeah. The, another thing I think that people can do, you were saying use your network, is there are places where you can, instead of when you're having a big birthday or your wedding, instead of people giving you physical gifts, you can ask them to contribute to your trip. And and you don't have to do everything all at once, that you could raise the money. When I went traveling the first 11-month trip that I did, I made a second job. I ran a summer camp and oh. I made a lot of money. And I used all that money to go traveling. And I know another journalist who, when she first started working, I mean, when she first started traveling so much, she took a job uh, teaching English and she worked an extra few hours every day. And that's how she funded her travels. Yeah. So there are lots of ways. Um, And also I would just say, start small, which we already talked about, but start local, you know, do something adventurous in your own community before you book a trip to Borneo. Um, (laughs) Right. So I'm speaking with Lisa Niver, author of Bravish. And um, we're on the Well Woman show here. And we're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back. If you're in burnout or in major transition, this is your time to figure out what's holding you back from making the changes you need in order to live your fullest, most joyful life. The causes of all our challenges, personal or professional, can actually be rooted in the lack of internal superpowers and external supports. Our Well Woman Life Framework tells you which stage of the Well Woman Life Cycle you're in and what to do about it so you can truly start living your life. You can find out more at wellwomanlife.com slash quiz. We're back on the Well Woman Show with Lisa Niver, author and travel journalist, content creator. And Lisa, we're going into the segment called Superpowers for Success, where uh, listeners get to know a little bit more about you and what, um, although we've been talking about you a lot, but <laughs> a little bit more about you and your leadership in the world and just how you um, how you navigate life. Um, and the first question I want to ask you is, what does success in life mean to you? Success to me has evolved a lot. I always think about this Ralph Waldo Emerson quote, about what is success. And I think that for me, it's very important to leave the world better than I found it. In Judaism, we talk about tikkun olam and repairing the world. And it's not one person's job to repair everything, but it is your responsibility to do what you can. And so for me, being successful 
think it's really important that I'm so fortunate to have so many friends and family that support me. That felt feels like a big success. And I'm so honored to have my book traditionally published and out in the world. I'm so excited that it's been quite a roller coaster ride and I'm happy to be in this part of the journey. Okay, good. And when did you know you were really good at what you do? Oh, that's such a good question. So like we talked about earlier that, you know, how do I call myself? One of the things that's been interesting along the way of being a writer and building websites is I've noticed it's not like other people's jobs. You know, if you do certain jobs, you know when you're good. And so one of the things I think about a lot is how do you get credentialed as an expert? And so for me, I feel very successful with the, I've been nominated for a lot of writing, broadcast and print and even podcast awards. And so I feel like I've been recognized. And for me, I was excited from the very beginning. Like I said earlier, when I had 100 views on YouTube, I was pretty much as excited as I am now to have 2 million views because those only happen one view at a time. But I'd say being published in bigger places like Smithsonian or Wired, Ms. Magazine, it's it's been each step I've tried to celebrate Along the way, what my parents say that I celebrate early and I celebrate often, and it's practically an art form. Mm, I love it. Yes, I, I can see that. Um, was there a moment, was there like a quiet moment where you just inside your own self knew that you were on, on something or on the right path? Where it didn't matter what other people were thinking or what the accolades were, but you just knew. When I was teaching, I would travel and teach and travel and teach. There was a day when I was teaching, I used to teach kindergarten through sixth grade science at this one particular school. And in first grade, one of the core standards is about architecture or forces. Anyway, we were building these buildings with toothpicks and gumdrops and talking about that with gumdrops, squares is very stable if you want to build taller gumdrop buildings. And one of the, we talked about that some places, buildings are round. And I made a comment. I had been in Sri Lanka and the kids had seen my photos. The stupas are round. And one of the first graders raised her hand and said, but what about Mongolia? And I said, yes. What about Mongolia? And she said, remember you showed us the pictures and the buildings are round. The gears are round. And I was like, you know what? I, I do remember that. I didn't make that connection by myself. And for me, that moment that it mattered to my first graders could make the connection between the way the buildings were in Sri Lanka and Mongolia. The fact that a first grader said the word Mongolia was amazing to me. Like who could find that on the map? That it it occurred to me how impactful sharing my travels were. That these very tiny humans who loved being in my class, and granted, I was giving them gumdrops in science, but <laughs> they weren't supposed to eat all of them. But the, 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 it was so clear to them the connection. Oh, buildings here, mostly they're squares and rectangles, but not everywhere. Around the world, people are different. Like To me, that seemed, if I did nothing else, I really changed their worldview. They, we talked about things all the time in class. The lights went out one day. My kids were terrified. And I said, we're fine. We're safe. It's, you know, just dark. So we opened the blinds. And I said, listen, when I was in Nepal, they only had 12 hours of power a day. At that time, there were some issues and we lit candles and the kids were like, oh, well, you know, I said, normally here, when you flip the switch, the lights go on. We're very lucky. 
So the next day in class, the kids said, you know, we don't want the lights on. We just want to open the shades. We want to be like the other kids. It's like, okay. You know, like they really, they took a lot of the lessons. I showed them pictures. We were in, um, in Samoa and the kids that I was on a tiny Island, you could walk all the way around the Island. And I went to visit at school in Samoa and the kids don't wear shoes when they live on a tiny Island. And my students were like, could we raise money and send them shoes? And I said, it's so nice. We can ask them what they would like, but I don't, they don't necessarily not wear shoes because they don't have shoes. Right. They just, you know, don't wear shoes, but I, they were very concerned citizens. And I, to me, that was some of the most important work I could ever do. I love that so much. So thank you for sharing um, those stories, because I think when women are listening, you know, hopefully this opens up something in you while you're listening that you can connect to um, your, your gifts and your, your, you know, your purpose in the world. And yes, Lisa, you've done all these amazing travels, but when it really comes down to it, you shared these sweet stories about your kids in science class. So um, I think everybody can relate to that and everyone has their own story that's like that. Um, and, And so my challenge to listeners is to find that story and explore that and see where that takes you. Um, But Lisa, we have a few more questions, and I'd love to ask you um, to describe a personal habit that contributes to your well-being so you can do everything that you do in the world. I'd say one of the habits that's the most important to me is on Friday nights, I go to services at my temple. And being part of a faith community, being part of Stephen Wise Temple, and having that grounding I, I, I being very seriously, I believe that it saved my life when my relationship was so terrible and I didn't know what to do. I knew that I could come back and belong and be in the sanctuary and feel grounded. I, I think that going to temple, first of all, it's a great place to cry. I, I definitely cried everywhere. When I was first back, I cried before dance class. I cried after dance class. I cried during services. But for me, the all the liturgy, you know, I really think about when it's Rosh Hashanah and it's the new year and the 10 days of awe and Yom Kippur and are we going to be inscribed in the book of life and, and do how do I feel about my actions and have I been helpful and tikkun olam? It's very important to me. And I think that habit of taking that break and having a regular place to go and being part of community has really shaped who I am and really supported me. Mm. Beautiful. Okay. And what superpower did you discover you had only to realize it was there all the time? (laughs) So one of the things I joke about as a superpower, and in fact, in my car, I do have Wonder Woman seat covers. Love it. Thank you. I thought you would like that. So I... I would say my superpower is called sticky fingers, which is somewhere across between networking and discovery that when I'm out and about in the world, I just find things out and I pick things up and I keep people. I I make a lot of connections and that networking served me well when I, you know, when I've changed paths that 
I've been able to go into my network and ask people for help to try when I like, okay, well, you know, I used to do that. Well, now I'm not doing that anymore. I'm doing this. And just being out, especially traveling that I'm out traveling. And I think, where are we going to stay? Or how do we get on the bus? And I remember (laughs) in China, we were in this very tiny town and it's literally called the thousand year old town. And we were it was in the lonely planet and we walked up to one bus station and we had to get on a bus and go somewhere else for many hours. And, you know, in the middle of rural China, nothing is in English. No one speaks English, but the lonely planet has all the words in, um, in characters. And so I literally walked up to these group of men and pointed and they took me almost literally by the hand and put me on the bus. And I was thinking, <laughs> how will I know when to get off? And apparently they told the bus driver because the bus driver pointed at us at some point and, you know, like, get off now. Oh, <laughs> so you have yeah. to be a little bit trusting and really open to being helped, but the sticky fingers, finding information, that's my superpower. Yeah. And being curious is what I'm hearing from you too, although you didn't say that, but definitely being curious and um, and being a problem solving, right? Like it's, <laughs> it's a challenge that you're going to figure out how to get on that bus. Um, so uh, what advice would you give your younger self, say your 25-year-old self? Yes. I would, well, in fairness, if my 50-year-old self called my 49-year-old self to say what would happen, I would have hung up on myself. I would never have believed even what happened in the challenges of that year. But calling my 25-year-old self, I would definitely say, relax. It's going to work out. I think that my level of worry that I wouldn't find my way was clearly not necessary. Hard to know at the time. I think the pressure to know it all at any age, especially you said 25 is a a marker year for sure. But I also think the nines, you know, 19 turning 20, 29 turning 30, 39 Mm -hmm. turning 40, we're so worried. We're not like them. And why would you want to be? You know, there's so much pressure to be like everybody else, but there's never been a you before. You're unique and you get to do it your way. But we don't always take up all the space of that. So I would tell my 25-year-old self, you're going to be okay. Gosh, wouldn't it be wonderful if she heard that and and could know that? (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Um, But no, that's great advice. And um, Lisa, I'm pretty sure I know the answer to this. Um, I usually ask people, do you identify as a feminist? And Mm. I'm, I'm pretty sure that you do. But will you talk about that what does that mean for you? Yes, I'm holding up my Ms. Magazine 50 Years Edition. Ms. Magazine has a book that just came out. You have it there hold also. The hold the book up. The, my book is 50 Challenges Before 50, came out the exact same day as the Ms. Magazine 50 Years of Ms. And yes, a hundred percent I'm a feminist. I was so incredibly fortunate growing up. My high school was one of the first high schools in the country to have a women's studies program. And so my senior year of high school, Joni Parker was our teacher. Everyone that had her talks about how she changed their life. She was a remarkable educator, 
a remarkable political activist. And she taught us as young women that feminism is, you know, at the time when I was, I graduated high school in 1985, in the mid 80s, people talked about feminism like it was a terrible thing. And even when I was a women's studies major at Penn, people thought that you were a like that there was all this issues about your sexuality and your political status if you cared. And I was like, how is women being full humans with access to full rights so threatening to you? I found that so fascinating. How is that threatening you? And so I have always been a feminist. I believe that women can do everything. And when we were in high school, I did go to all girls school for high school. And Joni used to tell us, she would be given an example. And she'd always say, well, you know, when you grow up and you're the president of the company or the president of the country, she always put it in her heads that you could be anything you want. And her examples were very specific. And I think that really impacted my my whole life. Obviously, I took women's studies in high school. It was my major in college. And I've written several stories. I wrote an article for Penn once that was something called, What Can You Do With a Women's Studies Degree? Because <laughs> awesome. people always said, what can you do? Yeah. And so my answer was, anything you want. Absolutely. I love that you, you were so impacted by that uh, teacher, right? It was a teacher. Um, because I, and we know from the research that, uh, young women really need to see and hear what's possible for them in order to really like step into that. And, and it can be, you know, as simple as a teacher really instilling that in you at a younger age. So, um, you know, for listeners, just thinking back on who was that person for you and was it a teacher or uh, it, it's it's usually some trusted adult outside of your immediate family so think about who that might be for you and last question lisa what are you reading right now i know you mentioned grit and quit so we can definitely link to those in the show notes but do you want to mention anything else that you're reading right now what's on your nightstand oh my goodness that's such a good question. Honestly, <laughs> normally I'm reading so many books. I have actually an advanced copy of Adam Grant's Hidden Potential. Ooh. It's marvelous. It's coming out in November. He's talking. I was just reading a section about having multiple mentors. And I think it's so fitting talking about my teacher, Joni Parker, and how do people find their way that of course, I'm reading the Ms. Magazine book, and um, that's such a good question. Well, Who those are good. Me? We'll we'll link to those in the show notes. We love to um, gather guests reading, you know, what they're reading. Not necessarily recommendations, because it's not like it has to be your number one recommended book, but it's just sort of like a snapshot of what you're reading right now. And and guests love to go and uh, find those books. And of course, we should all be reading reading Bravish. So um, if you haven't picked it up yet, you can get it anywhere that books are sold. It's called Brave-ish, One Breakup, Six Continents, and Feeling Fearless After 50 by Lisa Niver. And Lisa, I want to just mention also for listeners, since we're talking about 50, doing 50 things before you're 50 and Ms. 50 years of Ms., 
Um, I'm going to link to in the show notes for listeners. I'm going to link to my um, podcast episode when I turned 50. Um, I, I did a whole episode on this and, uh, and I think it'll be really fun to share that here. And so, um, you know, I turned 50 during the pandemic. Mm. So I had to cancel the fabulous trip to Italy. And I, you know, had to rethink what was this celebration going to look like. And I ended up doing a whole fun project decade by decade, um, looking at who was important to me in each decade, like you know, zero to nine or like one to nine, 10 to 19 and and that, like all the five different decades. And I did a whole project on this um, music. What music, you know, did I like in those years? Who were my friends? Who was important to me? And then I did a Zoom call with all these people <laughs> and it was so fun. And so I'm going to link to that in the show notes if listeners want to check that out too. Um, and I love that idea. It was so fun. I think it'd be a great workshop. Oh, yeah. Yes. Yeah. We'll have to do like a 50 something workshop. Um, it doesn't have to be around being 50. It can be, you know, when you're turning 30 or when you're turning 40. Actually, one of the things I know that you're very um, conscious of younger women, I thought it was interesting. You know, people say to me, I've been on all these podcasts, women over 40, women over 55. But when I started the project and I was talking with some PR people, I met with a woman and I said, I'm doing this project, 50 Things Before 50. And she looked at me, she goes, oh, I'm so happy to meet you. I said, you are? She goes, yes, because they've been feeling really, I'm struggling because, you know, I'm I'm 29 turning 30 and I, I really kind of thought my life was over. But now that I've met you and you're so old and you're <laughs> going to do all of these things, I feel much better. Nice. So, but yeah. I, I do think it's, it is impactful, you know, graduating in high school, what are you going to do with your life? 29 turning 30. Oh my God, am I old? You know, and it's certainly for women who want to have children, they start calling you a geriatric pregnancy in what I would imagine is a very young age. So I do think we put these pressures on people. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. I had kids a little later and I definitely dealt with all of that. Um, and yeah, we are focused on on all ages of women. Um, and and actually, I, I focus a lot on the kind of younger, sometimes the younger women, because those of us in our 40s, 50s and 60s and beyond um, are constantly trying to repair and nurture that younger self. So sometimes those questions aren't necessarily for actual young people, but they're for the young, for the young people within us, right? Uh, That's very important. I agree. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, Lisa, it's been such a pleasure having you on the show today. Thank you so much. You're so kind to include me in your incredible show. Thank you.
That's it for our show today. Remember, if you need support to live your well woman life, head over to wellwomanlife.com. As a reminder, we are on NPR every week. So be sure to tune in at npr.org slash podcasts and search for The Well Woman Show. If you enjoyed today's show, please take a moment and subscribe and leave a review. This helps raise visibility, which is super helpful when it comes to producing the show every week. For feedback, comments, or just to let me know you were listening, find me on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Well Woman Life. I'm Giovanna Rossi for The Well Woman Show. Until next time, have a super powerful week.